This is Raga Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff, Editor-in-Chief of RugbyMag.com and Rugby Magazine. And the new August issue of Rugby Magazine is out pretty good. Nice little retrospective on Paul Emmerich's career, which is worth having a look. And we're joined, as as usual, by Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And guys, we're talking about uh, some, uh, you know... Not happy news with the way the national team is going, but we'll be talking about that. But how are you guys doing? I'm good. It's uh, 15 seasons almost here. I'm getting ready to back, be back playing for the first time in a while, so that's been kicking my butt. But excited that the fall is here, and uh, you know, American teams are going to start winning again because they're playing each other, so someone has to win. <laughs> it's the old uh, Ed Haggerty used to talk about that. Is uh, He loved the national championships because uh, every champion was an American. Well, I'm doing well, too. I, I am not coaching rugby because I have no one to coach. Uh, but um, I don't know if I mentioned this. The, the last time I had spoken, I had also stepped down from Xavier. And, and what I am going to do is be the college rugby counselor at Xavier. So what I'm going to try to do is put uh, Xavier kids into colleges that are appropriate for them academically and ability wise so that should be pretty interesting I still would like to coach rugby I just don't necessarily have anyone to coach so that's uh but that all said I don't know I just think I think sometimes somebody has to take a break and uh and I'm not talking about you specifically but you know I found when I step down from coaching at the not very high level that I was coaching. I, you know, it was, it was difficult. I missed it. And, and the prospect of stepping down was difficult, but, um, eventually it, 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 I got used to it. And I actually, you know, I've, I've talked to some other coaches. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you go in recovery, stuff like that. Um, because it's something you do all the time. And then suddenly you have all this, this extra time to do other stuff so well that, I don't know. That, that's that's a part of it but I, i'm also uh i am going to use the time to try to upskill i'm gonna try to go on a trip i had spoken to talks and i had spoken a couple weeks ago about possibly going to new zealand and australia on a on an upskilling trip or possibly going over to england um you know, we talked about that. I'm actually meeting with a guy who played for the guy in rugby league who won the, uh, who basically invented the the outside in blitz defense and won a couple rugby league premierships with it. So I'm meeting with a guy tomorrow to learn a bit about how that works on a. You know, I kind of know how it works, but I'm I I don't I'm uncomfortable putting things in if I don't really understand them inside out, upside down and backwards. So I have the opportunity to meet somebody who knows it inside out, upside down and backwards and is willing to spend the time with me to, to teach me. Not that I have anyone to teach it to, but 
I am going to learn it. So it should be fun. That would be like continuing rugby education. Got to do that. All right. Well, we have a lot to talk about, and we will be talking about it in just a, a minute. We will take a break, and we will be right back on Rugga Matrix America. Everyone, of course, will have been very saddened and shocked by the sudden passing away of Dave Sitton, longtime University of Arizona rugby coach, and of course the voice of rugby as a broadcaster on television, and also uh, a, a huge presence in Arizona on radio, in, in sports, and also in politics. Uh, Dave was a terrific man, and I was proud to know him, proud to have worked with him at times. And I think the biggest tribute that I could think of uh, here on Rugga Matrix would be allow him to keep working. So Dave was very kind to volunteer to do some voiceovers for us for a couple of commercials, and we still have one that we still use. And as long as we have Rugby Imports as an advertiser, we'll be using this because that keeps Dave with us. So thank you, Dave, and we will miss you. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Well, we're back here on Rugby Matrix America. We're talking about the U.S. men's National 15s team. We are finishing off with the, the World Cup qualifiers where the Eagles lost two games and uh, they finished off their summer 0-7. We talked about it beforehand. We talked about the prospect of how many games they would win, uh, you know, how they would do in the qualifiers. And, uh, you know, for the most part, we were all pretty much way too optimistic because, uh, you know, I know I said that I thought the USA would win at home. And would probably lose on the road. And if they gave up, uh, if they didn't win by more than, I think it was 10, 9 or 10, then they wouldn't qualify. Well, guess what? They lost at home big. And then they lost on the road much closer by two points. And in the end, I think we just sort of, you know, as prognosticators, we sounded really, really, really optimistic. Wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah. Pat Clifton was correct. We Pat guilted Clifton's him. never correct. We <laughs> guilted Pat Clifton. He said that we had a very good possibility of going 0-7 this summer. That's true. Yeah. Pat Clifton was absolutely correct, and we guilted him out of it. So no matter what anyone says, Clifton is a soothsayer. It's not the Ides of March, but he is a soothsayer, and he is by far... The best predictor that we—it's not even close. Yeah. I mean, you and I get stuff wrong. I, I, I was, lo- I, yeah. I mean, I, I was. I mean, if, if anybody gambles, you may as well just go the other way. Yeah. On it's, it, I mean, I'm the worst. It's not even. It, I mean, I'm I'm probably under fifty percent. Um, you know, Pat is—he's <clears throat> a genius, and you know, the bookies make money on you. But not a lot. On me, they they kill me. Well, I don't know that I would have predicted that they. I don't think I predicted they were going to go in seven. I didn't see it as a real possibility. I, I was the only one. I think out of the three. But it, of us, you, but... you didn't predict it. You you saw yeah. it as a real possibility. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're on an American podcast makes it very difficult for you to actually predict that way. Right. 
is, is in as far as, you know, you are friendly with a lot of the people that you're talking about. What? In, in the fact. Well, well, you have to be. I mean, you, I'm you, I mean yeah, in the press, yeah. how could you not be friendly? I mean, yeah, it's such exactly. a small community. How could you not be friendly? I've only been threatened to be beaten up a couple of times. So most of the time, it's pretty, it's pretty friendly. But no, I mean, you're right. And I, the reality is, is we wish, I couldn't have wished to be more wrong, you know, than this time around. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would have expected it to, to happen this way, I, I guess. You know, the way it started, the way the spring started, the way the summer started. I can see us going this, but I, I think everybody, I think most everyone was surprised by what happened in Charleston. And we're probably going to jump into that. But, uh, you know, even I didn't expect that. Um, so, you know what I what I think was, you know, really unexpected in a way. If if we had if we had had a show right after Charleston, which um, we didn't, would we have said, "Oh, they're gonna they're gonna almost win the game"? I don't think we would have felt that way. I mean, I think I think I think we all. I felt actually that. thought they were gonna win. I, I I thought the Canada played like hell in Charleston. I just thought we played dreadful, but oh, Canada played Canada played dreadfully too, and I there were so many opportunities. To, I, I thought defensively in the lineout we were able to take them. I thought that if we were able to go up the guts on them, we'd be able to penetrate them pretty well. I thought that the scrum attack was was going to provide us with some opportunity, and I think all that stuff kind of came to fruition. Uh, we just didn't pump any scores in. But we we could talk about that. There's a lot to talk about, especially in the second game. The first game, there's a couple things to talk about. But in the second game, had they gotten their rack together, like on it was Canada scored eight points in two minutes. Then basically Canada played about seven or eight minutes of rugby the entire game, and wound up outscoring us. But we've said it fifty times. The object of the game is to outscore the opposition, not outplay them. So that's that's what we – good teams win when they play well. You know, they win most of the time. Really good teams win when they play like crap. And well, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know if that's true, but, you know, I know I, we hear that a lot. I, uh, what, what I will say is really good teams – will win when it's all going against them, right? And they have very, very few opportunities. And you're absolutely, I mean, oh, okay, we, we have stats, and we have a statistical breakdown of um, the, the, the first qualifier. Um, the USA, for the most part, dominated in uh, possession. They dominated in territory. They dominated in phases. They dominated um, well. Dom- well I, I suppose you could say they dominated in. Um, well, they didn't dominate uh, in kicking meters. They didn't dominate in hustle. No. They didn't dominate in line speed and defense. They didn't right, dominate right. in chasing exactly. kicks. So statistics, statistics are like bikinis. They, you know, they they show a lot of stuff, but none of the important stuff that you really care about. Well, oh, oh, so yeah, at okay, least okay, bikinis okay. cover the things I care about. Okay, that's fine. Well, but you know, they, what they had, they dominate. They dominated in set piece for the most part. What they had was the framework, right? So you look at it. You know, let, let's let's use another analogy instead of bikini, because now I'm picturing you in a bikini, Bruce. 
and I'm never going to get that image out of my head. Uh, you know, you build a house. So the, 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 the framework of the house, the sticks of the house were there. They just didn't cover it up. They didn't put any walls in there. So you're right. There's no chase on the kicks, or there's a weird chase on the kicks, or the kick is wrong, or line speed on defense, or even just decision-making with the ball. I mean, the, 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 the biggest issue in American rugby offensively that I see day-to-day is when does a player decide to pass the ball? And usually he ends up deciding way too late to pass the ball, a split second before he's hit, and he's hit, he doesn't pass the ball. Um, and, and we see that so often, even with our national team, with you know, professionals and semi-professionals playing on it. We had The USA had so many things going for them statistically, and they actually got blown out of the water when, when you're talking about points. They lost 27 to, to 9. It wasn't even close. So I guess my, you know, I was going to say, what, apart from those statistics, what did they do wrong? Well, I mean, 15 phases is great, but if it only advances the ball 20 meters up the field, how great is 15 phases? It's really nothing, you know? I mean, and the 15 phases, so having the ball five minutes is great, but if you have the ball five minutes, but it's all between... 10 meters of the halfway mark, what is having the ball for a long period of time really matter? So you have to take, I think, possession, you know, phases and time of possession with a grain of salt and realize where was that possession and why did it take so many phases? Just like the sevens statistic that the USA made more passes than anybody else on the circuit a couple of years ago. Well, we made more passes because we couldn't break the line. So all we were doing was sitting there passing to each other and going nowhere. I think that is more what those stats were indicative of um, in the first qualifier i mean all right so so if they have so many phases what are they trying to do are they doing so many phases bashing back and forth back and forth not worrying about gaining a lot of ground because they think that a big old hole will open up and gwenya or somebody will break through and they'll score a try or are they really hoping to go five ten meters five ten meters and push them back and push them back and make their way to the line and i'm asking i'm asking that question because i really don't know especially especially in that first game. I don't know what their overall plan was. Was it was it to keep the ball and force Canada into making a defensive error? Or was it to keep the ball because we're so good, we're, the longer we have, the more we're going to make you backpedal? Because neither of those things happened. Well, the thing is that the, when we actually did move the ball in either game that happened were either someone like Luke Hume or Taku made just a break that somebody else would have made because it was a special individual step or effort, especially in the second game we saw that happen. Or it was the quick pick and jam, and we actually had the correct amount of numbers there to support it, and guys were wanting to win that point of contact more than the other guy sitting across from them. Those are the times when we did move the ball. So I, I don't know what the exact attack tactic was, but and I thought your article was great when you are talking about putting the box kicks in a box because you can't sit here and rely on box kicks to be your offense over and over and over and over again, which is what well, oh, okay. you have to go back I, into. You, you could if you were really, really great at them. I mean, if you were awesome, if, if your scrum half was able to look up and instinctively could, could see uh, where the holes were and, and kick, kick to space and everybody knew that's what he was going to do uh, on, you know, on his team, all of those things would, would all work. But, of course, that's not happening. And then they, in the first game, they started a passing scrum half. And Mike Petrie's, and, and confirm this with me, Bruce, but Mike Petrie's number one skill is his ability to pass about 25 meters on a line. So what you should be doing with him is placing your, your 
fly half about 20 meters away from him and and spread that attack and make that first channel enormous. So if he wants to pass inside, we can pass inside, whatever. But that's the major skill. That's why you have Petri on the field. And instead what they did was they asked him to kick. I don't know why they I don't know why they kid in the first game and I certainly I I would have selected Petri over Shaw in the second game based on the game plan going into the second game. Um only because he plays that game really well. Um so I don't know why they asked him to kick. I mean, you could say that the other the guys on the team didn't know he was gonna kick. I, I he wouldn't have kicked that often had he not been supposed to kick. Um, well, it's been clear they they've been box kicking for a good portion of the the last year. It's not new. It's just, yeah. I mean, I think the frequency was more than before, but it's not new. So uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not. All that said, I think that. When you get out of that game, the the thing that got me a little bit is they were they played lateral. They didn't penetrate. There were guys running a lot of different directions. They didn't dominate the contact, keep their feet. And Canada was using a tackle fan technique. Basically, they tackle and they just fan out and have 11, 12 guys cross the field. And it was very difficult to penetrate it. And the only way you could really penetrate it is to do some pick and goes and, and short runners and things like that. And I think that Canada didn't change that tactic and the U S changed up quite a bit in the, uh, in the second, in the second match. And you just think about even early in the game, you know, I, I thought that they could take some line out ball. They can do well with direct rugby and, you know, they call it a charge ball or a Rambo, but, uh, you know, I think that when you when you look at the game, especially the second one, like we get down right to the five yard line and have a line out and then get an overthrow. And and they they got penalized the first one we went we went to two and they, they called them for knocking smashing a lifter. Then we and it was funny because the ref said to take the kick again, and he made Toby take it from the 15-meter line. At that point, was it smarter to go for sticks or run the ball as opposed to redo another line out? And then we wound up not winning that line out on an overthrow. And then, uh, you know, it's then we get a free kick at the 5-meter line and get tackled at our own six-meter line. And, uh, you know, maybe if we're a little bit more dynamic, we might have scored on those pick-and-goes that went to a scrum, and then we after we scrum, we have a scrum at the five after that, and then we, we knocked it on. Then the, the real thing was, I mean, we still were struggling, and when Biller scored or, or, or almost scored – You'll notice that when he put it down, the referee blew his whistle and put his hand up. It's and called then try. He called the try and then went to the video ref. But it happened immediately. So he never gave Biller – like he never wait, waited for Biller to take that. Right after that, Biller stops. Try has been Yeah, called. that's true. That's true. So – when Biller got down, all he really had to do was roll his chest onto the ball. 
and he just stopped as soon as the whistle blew. So it was kind of a it was kind of a crap call. That's and, a, that's a that's a very good point. And we were talking about and there's the other thing being that he it, asked. It should have been. It could have been. It should have been. Is there any reason I can't award a try, especially since right. he blew the whistle for it? He was in perfect position. Now, but the fact was is that he called it as Biller put that down. Yep. And then that's it. Game's over. And you're and, not allowed and to, to, and to, and to, remind to change people. your calls, especially in something like that, because he would have had time. He was there one-on-one with a – you know, he was there with Hearn. Now, and then, then even that, then we get called for a feed in the ensuing scrum, and – Canada kicks it to touch. We get a line out. We go not straight. Then we we go well, and we're moving it. We're going playing really direct. Get it out to 10, and we butcher a pass. Then we get another five-meter line out where they come down. They try to put, and they move a little play to Dahl. He knocks it on. And then we finally score. We finally scored off that counterattack where Naguanya scores on a really nice play. And then Canada gets eight points in two minutes between the 20 and 22 minute mark, you know, and then we had all those line out, we had those line out knock ons. We need those balls. And, you know, when we need to get out of jail, we can't keep butchering line outs and, you know, getting box kicks blocked. And it's just little bits of nonsense. It was just very frustrating because the reality is, not only should we have won that game, we should have covered the VIG. We should have. You're, you're, you're right. That line, out, that, that, that line out that Canada scored on, when it was, I mean, I, I don't know how that happened. The back line screwed up their alignment. I mean, it's I know like exactly how. I mean, I know you how. Know, you know, you know, you know why did? But yes, they. All they right, just, so they uh, scored, and then the other one. I mean, we just we just went to sleep and started playing catch defense again. And it was it so it was really the entire game was lost, within a couple minutes of Canada doing, getting some good play. Or, or us not playing great defense, and in the other parts of it, were us just not converting when we had opportunities. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, no just, way Canada scored I, I, fifty let, twice. Let, let let me just bounce back. Um, you know, just to tell people, you know, a reminder: you're tackled in goal. It's not a tackle. A tackle can't occur in goal. So, you can you can wriggle around when you're taken down and try and get that ball on the ground, and and that's what. Bruce, that's what you're talking about, is that had the referee not blown his whistle and waited to see, just waited a couple of seconds, Biller could have just done a little bit extra to get the ball grounded, and it would have been a try. Um, so the, also, uh, that the call, two or three guys near him could have plowed in there. Sure, exactly. And, the, and that call, along with his instruction to the TMO, cost the USA a try. Now, the the thing about the TMO is... Seven that, I mean, points. Because it was... They got it. I mean, they can take something from the NFL here. When the NFL says the call on the field is such and such, right? So the call on the field is try scored. Then they're asking the TMO, do you see anything that contradicts that? That's, that's what's, 
what they could learn from the NFL is how how they do that. But there isn't that. I mean, we're we're basing it on this wording. Um, I just, you know what? I just, I I'm just really frustrated with this goal line stuff because because it, you know Biller Biller did a couple of things wrong here. First of all, Biller had men outside him. And Biller went in way too high, like a lot of USA players are going. They went in way too high. But what what about the fact that we had a tap penalty on the five meter, and then we had the ball one on the one one meter away from the try line, ready to score a try with what what was it three minutes to go, four minutes to go, and we lost the ball on the line. That kind of stuff is driving me crazy. And all it is is they're just doing pick and jam, pick and jam. We know that's what they're going to do. Not one time, not one time, when especially even with slow ball, did they they stop and, and get a get a hard runner, get get Doyle or 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 um, Cam Dolan because it was late and he was on the field or clever running on and taking a, a pop pass and trying to go over. Not one time did they try that. It's the simplest play in the world, and yet not doing it. And I just feel like that's a failure of basic rugby. But pick and go works in that in that area. I, I don't when, think I don't, when I, when oh, was the last time when the USA is not USA. executing it. I don't, I don't think that the USA has executed it particularly well. That's absolutely right. Did, but you there were the there were some. You have to have the patience were, and the discipline to do it the right way and do it over and over again and be willing to go 15 phases in that area. But and, there were and not stretch out. And I think that I mean I I 100 agree with Bruce in that. If I'm the coach, that's the play that I like to have made, unless there's a wide open hole created because you're doing it effectively. But uh, I, I, the U.S. just hasn't been executing it properly. There were some, there were some pick and goes that I really enjoyed. Um, there were somewhere, like uh, Sunil would make a little break, and then Taku would pick and go. I, I liked it when the backs were pick and go and off the off the one-off runner backline breaks. And Egoff used to do that, that works, a lot. That, that works great. I mean, and I'm not – Egoff Elof was great. He was the best of it, best of it. But there's certain things that they're doing. They're body height and things and probably their binding and tightness, and, and I think that their decisiveness needs to improve a bit in that. But, look, it, it, was, it was unfortunate, but it was – I thought they could have covered the VIG. I, I thought they played well enough to cover the VIG, and they just made these simple self-destructive errors that and they should have won the game, but they actually could have and, and arguably maybe should have covered the VIG. I, to me, I think we're missing the boat so far in our discussion. In that, I mean, we're talking about, what, an 0-6 summer, and the team got worse almost as, as, as it went on. I mean, Japan was pretty atrocious. Charleston was a pretty atrocious performance. And then, you know, we're talking about how many knock-ons in this game in Toronto when it's all on the line. I don't know off the top of my head, but there were at least four coming off of line-out ball when your thrower to your scrum half. The biggest <sighs> issue we're, we're not talking about is it's cultural. It's confidence. There's something inside this team that's not well, and it's not the players and their abilities to play rugby and it's not necessarily the game plan or what we do inside of the 22 or what the plan is to do inside of the 22. It's that uh, to me, it's, it's in players heads and there's, there's a real issue and I don't know what it is. I can't put my thumb on it, but 
the team that played in this this late this summer is not the same team that played, you know, against Ireland and Houston. I think the real issue is cultural and it's mental and it's not necessarily player skills. There's it's a team issue that is not that is unresolved at the moment. Well, doesn't that speak to the changes in coaching? We we were going to be calling for perhaps the ouster of some coaches. We see three coaches leave leave uh, Tony Smith, the uh, attack coach is gone. I, I think uh, obvious when you score 11 points a game over seven games, that comes down on you. Scrum coach Derek Dowling, he's left as well. And Dan Payne, the forwards coach, left because his job at Life University is expanding. And, and in the end, what you'll see is you'll, you'll see a new staff, a little bit different look. I've been talking a lot to different coaches about what they want to see in a different look, but there needs to be a more modern approach to the coaching and perhaps that addresses some of the issues i don't know rugby fans don't forget that the usa sevens international rugby tournament is not that far off the usa sevens will bring 16 of the best international teams to las vegas on january 24th to 26th yeah it's two weeks earlier this time and don't forget there's also the las vegas invitational you're a rugby fan and you're also a rugby player and the lvi has competitive opportunities for sevens 15s, young, old, and in between. High level or just here for the fun? It's all in Las Vegas. Everybody's here for the fun in Las Vegas. Go to usa7s.com for more. We have good players. We have, we have athletes. We have big guys. We have guys who are good on good teams, meaning that, you know, you give them a role that, um, you know, they make that role work. I think some of those guys show up and feel like they have to do more. But I think I think we also have a, a bunch of players who've not been tested at all. And even unless you are a supremely special individual, you can't go through that and not be tested and show up at an international where everything is on the line and know how to play desperately. And I think if I look at Canada, when I've seen Canada play, they know how to play as if their life depended on it. And I don't think the USA players know. They they want to, they just don't know how. All right, that's going to do it. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, on behalf of uh, Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton, this is Alex Goff. Don't forget to check out RugbyMag.com, RugbyMag.com Premier, where you can also, uh, by subscribing to Premier, you get our Rugby Magazine, as long as a bunch of other exclusive content uh, columns, etc., and uh, you can also subscribe to Rugby Magazine on your iPad, and check out, of course, on iTunes the Rugby Matrix America and Rugby Matrix International show. Thanks for listening, everybody, to Rugby Matrix America. Mm-hmm.